Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I have the book of Titus open, and in Titus chapter 1, it says, starting in verse 4, To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That's what I'm saying to you today. Grace and peace to you from me. We're going to have a really interesting conversation with Jeff Dodge. Uh, he uh, is teaching pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City, Iowa, and he's got this powerful new Bible study called Titus, Life-Changing Truth in a World of Lies. The gospel truth is anything but static, and I think it's going to be a fascinating opportunity to learn more about Titus because I love that book. I'm th- pretty sure it's a, a book of uh, a letter from one missionary to another, but there's so much to learn, and Jeff is going to be able to walk us through it. Uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Great to be with you. Yeah, so um, I want to just jump into this, Titus. Right in the introduction, you say gospel truth isn't just about soul winning and church planting. Huh. I was scratching my head early on. <laughs> yeah. What are some other applications? Well, I, I think the, the beautiful example that we have uh, with the book of Titus, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, is that— um, you know, doing missions certainly is just going out and proclaiming the gospel, and the Apostle Paul does that, you know, brilliantly. Um, but he also realized that what was going on is not just a, a broad casting of, of the gospel message out there and hoping for fruitfulness, but the establishment of local churches. And so as Paul would continue on, you know, making his circuit around from the next community to the next community— um, he was careful to make sure that each of those locales where the gospel really took anchor and took root um, had leaders there to to make sure that it was established and that it would be flourishing and that it would be a generation upon generation uh, work that was begun. So, you know, Tim, Timothy goes to Ephesus, Titus there in Crete and, and so forth. So, um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful example of a more full-orbed, a view of what church planting and even first century all the way to today evangelism should look like. So yeah, very instructive for us. Yeah, and there's some really great coaching in this letter, isn't there? Yeah, for sure, for sure. And when we are being instructed to do things like avoid foolish controversies and arguments right. and quarrels about the law, uh, boy, it makes you need to pay attention to that. Oh, man. And I feel like in so many ways, well, I mean, the whole Bible is timeless, right? It's living, it's active in 2020. Um, But certain books, it seems like, are especially pertinent to our day. And man, right now, I feel like, at least for us, I'm here in Iowa City, Iowa, uh, the book of Titus seems to be landing squarely in our time and space, in our city. And, uh, so grateful to see the the Bible just kind of kind of burst under the scene, you know, in a in a really pronounced way. So for sure, yeah, Jeff, I got a whole bunch of Titus questions for you, but I'd love to have you weigh in on Titus two eleven. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Really, mm-hmm. an amazing mm-hmm. verse, and I don't think I've ever fully understood that well. As much as I've studied it, I've kind of gone back and forth. So I'd love to know more about that verse. Yeah. I do think that that Paul is writing there something similar to what First uh, John does, actually, the Apostle John, uh, deeper into our New Testament, where um, they're trying to make a very strong and bold statement just ab- about the incarnation, that God has come to us, that, you know, miraculous, 
story that is so unique to the to the Christian faith, the Christian message, that God Himself appeared. You know, the grace of God appeared to us, <laughs> and we could, you know, in John's language, we could see Him, we could hear Him, we could mm-hmm. touch Him. You know, um, and so it, it was real. This is not myth. This is not lore. This, this is not an ideology. You know. Uh, this is not a worldview. This is a person. This is God, man coming to us. And, uh, and so then, then, you know, Jesus comes and he leaves for us this truth, the the message that he brought of, of the gospel. And, uh, what, what Paul is saying there is, um, that's going to land in our hearts and souls and lives. It can't remain maybe in our, in our head or in some kind of abstract faith. Um, it's going to instruct us. If we believe that Jesus Christ has come to bring salvation to us, then that message, that truth is going to instruct us on some things. There he mentions denying ungodliness, denying worldly lust, to live a different holy way. Um, and so you can't, in other words, you can't come face to face with the reality of the gospel and that Jesus Christ has come, that God man has come to us in Jesus and remain the same. It has to impact you and and radically change you, transform you, if you really believe that that's true. Mm -hmm. That's really, really good. So, Jeff, we know the Word of God is a sword. So Mm -hmm. how do we wrongly picture the sword? Mm, Right. I mean, often we think of the sword um, punitively, you know, and and it is often, right? It's there to cut down an enemy or, or to somehow mete out justice. But um, it, it also, you know, in the way that the, the scriptures talk about it, and by the way, the sword is used that way in the Bible, right? And it, even when Jesus comes back to bring out justice to the earth, you know, he has a sword in his mouth. You know? So, right. so we, we do see that imagery in the Bible. I, I don't deny that. But there's another level of imagery where it's also just precise and cutting, kind of lays us bare but not in a harsh, uh, gory kind of way. It actually opens us up, right? So that it kind of reveals the inner self. It 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 uh, allows us to kind of be seen by God, and and that's that's the beautiful way that the Bible works. Is you know we come, we open this book with some preconceived ideas about who we are, that we're right about this and wrong about that. Um, and then the Bible kind of lays us bare and allows us to see what's actually really true. And we understand that, oh, we're not actually accountable to ourselves. We're, we're not the judge and jury to ourselves. Oh, there's a God that created us that actually is the final judge of what we believe and, and what we hold to be true and how we live. And the, and the Bible kind of does that work for us, lays us open so that we can see what, what really are the thoughts and intentions of the heart, right? Hebrews 4, uh, 12 and 13. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not hidden from him anymore. The The word of God has kind of opened us up and exposed us to the eyes of him to whom we must ultimately give an account. Um, so I hope that's what Titus does for us. I hope it it reveals stuff to us that, you know, maybe we hadn't seen or we've been refusing to see or something along the way. Great point. Uh, Jeff, why was Titus so determined to uh, establish leaders for the church in Crete? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is that Jesus taught us in the incarnation that the, that the way to, to the Jesus path, the, the, the Jesus way um, was going to be by following him, 
right? Be a follower of Jesus, a Christ follower. Um, in other words, we were to hear the way he talked, watch the, the places that he would walk to, see his interactions with people, and that would be instructive and informative. We don't just, we're not just handed a book, we're following a person. And so in many ways, the leaders of God's church, um, in a, a lower eye incarnate, <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not incarnate the way that Jesus is the incarnate son of God, but we incarnate, we bring to flesh the truths of the gospel so that people can see them and hear them. And so these leaders, the number one job actually that, that the leaders have is to be examples. I think one of the greatest, um, Spots in the New Testament for that um, is in First Peter five. Um, I love how Peter here. So I, I, I'm just saying, like all there seems to be a collaboration of New Testament voices saying this the same thing Jesus taught his disciples. Well, because Peter says, "Hey, shepherd God's flock uh, among you, not overseeing. You're not out of compulsion, uh, not lording it over people, but he says, being examples to the flock." Mm. Um, And so the number one, yeah, thing that leaders are to do isn't just to make decisions, though they are to make decisions um, on different things. They guard sound doctrine. They have other jobs. But really just central to their role in the church is to be an example of the gospel, uh, show people what it looks like. And especially when you think of pre-printing press church, you know, which would have been like 1,500 years of church, um, there was very precious uh, little actual like Bible for people to sit and read. And many of them were illiterate, even if had been available. But what they could do is hear the word of God and then see it lived out among their leaders. And that was, that was the number one way that disciples were formed and, and made. So, so Paul, I'm just saying Paul was, was really um, very determined that the Christ followers in Crete would have, uh, you know, a whole community of of leaders to for for them to give examples of how to live the Christian life and and let the church flourish by following them. Yeah, Jeff, you can't argue a life well lived, can you? Right. Exactly so. Yeah. Exactly so. All right, let me take a little break. I am talking to uh, Dr. Jeff Dodge, but he said, "Just call me Jeff." Doesn't that make you like him even more right now? <laughs> We're talking about his book, Titus: Life Changing Truth in a World of Lies. After a short break, we'll be right back with lots more with Jeff. Welcome back to the show. So glad to be talking to Jeff Dodge today, teaching pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City. He's also author of Gospel 101, Learning, Living, and Sharing the Gospel. But today we're chatting about his new Bible study, Titus, Life-Changing Truth in a World of Lies. We're talking about elders and qualifications the elders needed to meet, and maybe there were some expectations that were put upon them. It's important to just live a life and model a well-lived life, isn't it, Jeff? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That, so, that comes through in the very first chapter. <laughs> right. But what what was going on in Crete during the first century? What, why, the, why the need for—was it like our culture today? Right. Well— 
actually quite a bit like it, I, I think, at least the culture that I live in. Um, it, it was, you know, an island state, and so there were a lot of harbors, many, many harbors and ports. It, it allowed for that, just the contour of the, of the land and so forth. And so it became a, a pretty important kind of trade route on the open sea there. And so uh, because of that, um, there, there certainly were Cretans that lived there and, and found their, their home there for generation after generation. But you had these transients, these sailors and merchants and different ones that would come through. And like a lot of uh, port cities around the world, um, that can bring uh, some dis- people of disrepute <laughs> into the neighborhood because – you know, oh, if I'm away from my family and I'm this traveler, I'm this merchant, I'm this sailor, whatever, maybe I can get away with some things while I'm, I'm traveling that I wouldn't be able to do under the watchful eye of, of my spouse or my, my neighbors or whatever. And so a lot of pretty shady things would go on in a lot of these port cities all around Crete. And then the Cretans who lived there began to take advantage of, of a lot of these, um, you know, passers-by. And so they became pretty deceptive and um, – you know, pretty good at getting what they wanted out of these people who were just uh, transitory through through their island. And so, yeah, it was it was a pretty rough, <laughs> pretty rough place to plant a church. Um, I love it in chapter one, verse twelve. It says one of their very own prophets said, "Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons." Right. So. No, sure. uh, they kind of wore that, I guess, as a as a badge of honor <laughs> about themselves that. They're lying, evil beasts, and, and lazy gluttons. So, yeah, not exactly, I guess, where you'd hope to always plant a church in, in an island that boasts about those kind of anti-virtues, I guess. But that was that was the island of Crete. Also reminds me of that little saying that the out-of-town you is the real you. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, that's solid. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. what are— Adding to the gospel, never a good idea. It's always going to result yeah. in false teaching. What are some of the, the traps that, um, that that's going to result in? Yeah, well, and, and one of the things that Titus, uh, Paul's letter to Titus, is really careful on is that even though he gives them a lot of, um, you know, moral help, like do this, don't do that kind of thing, he's always careful to bring it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, this was not a teaching that said, if you clean up your life and if you start acting like a Christian, then you will get to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was always coming back to, you know, the grace of God has appeared, bringing that salvation for all people. Even that verse that, that you referenced a little bit ago, that there was a, a constant pull back to Jesus Christ and uh, the washing of regeneration that we have in Christ by the Holy Spirit. And so I think one of the major, um, you know, false teachings that that this letter corrects is is that moralism that somehow I just have to clean my life up and that I'm in good graces with God. Instead, this is be transformed by the the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then live that out. Have have a new identity in Christ that then brings out a whole new way of living. And whereas before I, I lost all kinds of control and give in to all sorts of things. Now I'm marked by things like self-control right now. All of a sudden I, I find that the Holy spirit is allowing me to rein in some of those passions that had been uh, just, you know, unbridled pre Christ. So I think that's one of the biggest things is, is uh, going against 
the gospel of moralism mm-hmm. in this book. Yeah. Jeff, I know Titus goes into the subject of submission. I know that's kind of a, a misunderstood mm-hmm. subject. What, what, what does biblical submission look like? Yeah. I love the way that Paul even introduces himself in the front of the book. That sets the pay, pace for what you're saying in the submission thing, because he calls himself Paul, a servant of God. So right away, his posture is that of a submissive servant before God, right? And um, that is following the long line of great heroic figures like Moses, servant of God, Joshua, servant of God, right? All All the way through. And clearly the finest example of submissive servanthood is Jesus Christ himself, right? That that laid his life down for others. He got down on his hands and knees to wash the feet of his disciples. He was always putting himself in a posture of servanthood, not just to his father, but to but to those that would surround him. And so that idea of submission um, comes through loud and clear for how we're to posture ourselves, uh, whether in the workplace. Um, he talks to wives being in submission to their husbands. Young men are to be in submission to elders, you know, uh, the servants are to be submissive to their masters and that kind of thing. So there's this posture of, of servant submission that is really a beautiful Jesus-like quality that we're supposed to um, have really as a result of the gospel invading our hearts and souls. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I know Titus uh, addresses the issue when people start to argue and that's always a problem. Yeah. Uh, so we can we can understand that almost on a daily basis. So I, right. I bet Paul has got some wisdom that's, that he's going to offer Titus that you might be able to oh, share man. with how we can apply that to life today. Yeah, and and I'm telling you, this is where you know, like I said before, this this text is just landing in our contemporary culture and our contemporary cities because um, you know. First of all, asking us to submit to rulers and authorities um, that we're supposed to obey them. But then in chapter three, he goes further and says, hey, slander no one. Avoid fighting. Be kind. Always show gentleness to all people. I like this. Be kind. Be nice. You know, <laughs> and I, I feel like, man, in our day, there are a lot of evangelical Christians that are feeling a freedom to be very hostile in word. Um to, to kind of unleash unkindness toward people that disagree with them, even within the body of Christ. And um, this book really just, just goes right to the heart of things, that if we're truly transformed by the gospel, we're, we have, we're to have nothing to do with slander, fighting. We're to, we're to be known by kindness and gentleness, right? And so, yeah, we, man, we need a healthy dose of that right now in the church, I believe. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about humility, and that's another issue I think that's related to people arguing. There's such a lack of humility. We don't listen to each yeah. other. Um, oh, man. And, and how does that relate to, to just truth? Right, right. And that's, you know, I love the way especially that he addresses um, younger men because, um, you know, young men are to be maybe the strong, even kind of wink at their abrasiveness at times because, man, be strong and lead and charge and all that. Uh, actually, Paul tells Titus, no, don't don't let young men in Christ get away with that. No, they should also be humble. They're to be marked by self-control. Like if there's anything that, again, we feel like culturally in the West, we can let young men, you know, kind of sow their wild oat, you know, get out there. No, nope. 
Christian, young man, you be self-controlled in everything, he says, and make yourself an example of good works. So, yeah, there there is to be a posture of humility, even from those that we would maybe wink at or or give a pass on that to, you know, maybe maybe older guys to be humble, you know, when they grow into it. No, also, you tell that even those young dudes that they are to be self-controlled and humble in the way they posture themselves toward others. Jeff, I'm always grateful when Bible teachers like you put together little studies like this because they're, they're so accessible and they're so rich. And so this Titus study is it's actually part of the uh, gospel-centered life in the Bible series. Right. So are there, um, how, do I, how do I get a hold of that? And are there other studies yeah. available in this same series? Yeah, there are some really rich ones, and they're just just now starting to, to come out uh, even more. But, yeah, I I for sure would recommend the entire series. Just go to New Growth Press and uh, and see the ones that are available. But, uh, man, I'm telling you, I, I love the fact – well, right now, just as, as Titus is coming out, Ephesians and Revelation are also coming out, and they're tremendous uh, – studies as well. I, I like what they're doing, what New Growth is doing is an entire series of these from specific books of the Bible. So you're not just studying the Bible, which is always a good thing, but with a, a very intentional purpose of finding the gospel richness in every passage, in, in every uh, lesson, every session of the studies all the way through. So yeah, it was a blast to, to work with New Growth and creating this one, and uh, there's a whole lot more of them coming out. Yeah. Well, Titus is a great book. It's got tons of really practical wisdom. And when it comes to uh, being a follower of Jesus, this is a book that you should absolutely be studying um, in the culture that we're living in today. And your yeah, book, so. Titus, Life-Changing Truth in a World of Lies, is uh, available. And um, uh, Jeff Dodge has been my guest. Jeff, you, you're a delight. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and doing this. Really nice to meet you. It's great to meet you as well. I've had a blast. Thanks for having me. Cool. Well, let's do it again because uh, I've really enjoyed this, and I know my listeners did too. So thank you, and have a great rest of the day. All right. God bless. You bet. Uh, Jeff Dodge has been my guest again. The book is uh, it's a Bible study. It's called Titus, Life-Changing Truth in a World of Lies. All right. After a short break, we'll be right back with plenty more. that conversation with Jeff Dodge. Titus is a great book, and every time I read it, I always find something new and fresh, and I, if you're like me, you do too, because that's the way God's Word is. It's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And when I dig into Titus, I go, wow, this is a rich book, and I am kind of anxious to jump into that Bible study. I love those little Bible studies, kind of focused and well-organized and well-thought-out, and it's really nice to... Um, Dig deep. And that's going to be, I think it's available, of course, right now. Just go online and pick it up. We're going to have our Salvation Series continue today. I'm excited about that. That is going to be 
we're getting towards the end of it. We've got a couple more weeks to go, and then we're going to wrap it up. We're going to extend a little bit into the fall, even though it was a summer series. Becky Pippert is going to be joining us today, Dr. Peter Kapster and myself. And I don't know if you know anything about Becky Pippert, but she is a amazing speaker and evangelist and author of 11 books. And her best-selling book is called Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. So that's going to be a fascinating conversation with her and Peter. And we're also going to try to wrap up our summer series we had with our friend Adam Weber from Embrace Church. But I don't think uh, we're connecting with him today. So that's a little bit of concern. Um, Any luck there, Rebecca, with Adam? Not so far. Okay. But I shall keep trying. That would be great. That would be great. So if you have enjoyed uh, the Salvation Series, and if you have a particular author that you think, boy, if you could get this person for your Salvation Series, I would listen twice. We'd love to know who that is, because I've kind of gone through my wish list of guests. We've had uh, Ian Paul, and uh, we've had... Randy, Dr. Randy Newman, and uh, we've had some really wonderful uh, guests. And if you have someone on your wish list that you would like us to uh, pursue on the Salvation Series, uh, what I have found out that there's been a ton of good questions that have come from listeners, and we're going to tackle a couple of those today um, with Peter and Becky as well. So if you have a question on uh, salvation or anything about the series, We'd love to get those questions submitted in advance, and we'll put them on the show as early as today, um, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We're also looking for um, lots of questions anytime you have one. If you have a question for Ask the Professor, and you're studying God's Word, and this question, this thought pops into your head. You don't have to wait for, like, Professor Mark Muska to come on the show. You can just email it to me, bill at myfaithradio.com, and just say, ask the professor next time. Because I love to collect questions. It's really nice when Mark shows up to have a bunch of questions to get things started with him. So if you uh, have that as an option, uh, let me know, and I'd love to uh, get those questions. Just just so you know, anytime you got a question, you can email it to me at uh, bill at myfaithradio.com. That'd be the best way to do it. You can also send a text at 877-933-2484. I don't think we're getting Adam Weber today. Does it sound like no Adam Weber? Okay. You know, I was watching a little bit of the uh, convention last night just because conventions are uh, uh, pretty emotional and pretty pretty high-spirited. And I was uh, saw some pretty passionate talks and speeches and you know i was thinking about uh some of the presidents former presidents and i was reading i'll see if i can't find the document that i took some notes on for exact occasions like this when your guest doesn't come through but um i was thinking of uh, fdr he was a chain smoker throughout his entire adult life and he was really in uh, kind of declining physical health and had been since 1940 and in March of 1944, just he was around 62 years old. He went for testing at uh, at the hospital, and they found that he had high blood pressure, arthros- arthrosclerosis, hard word to say, coronary artery disease, which caused angina and congestive heart failure. That was what he found out he had. So hospital uh, physicians basically said to President Roosevelt at the time, 
to rest. So uh, his personal physician, who is Admiral Ross McIntyre, he said, look at uh, President, Mr. President, you got to get your daily schedule and you got to ban business guests at lunchtime and you just need two hours of rest every day. So during the uh, 1944 re-election campaign, his doctor denied several times that President Roosevelt's health was poor. So on October 12th, that's just uh, not too far in front of the convention or the um, election, he announced that the president's health is perfectly okay. And there's absolutely no organic difficulties at all. And you think, wow, he died like uh, nine months later. And I think when it comes to seizing power and controlling power, you'll pretty much tell any story that you can to keep it. And when I think of the health of both candidates that are up right now, I don't really know. I mean, both doctors are going to say they're perfectly healthy and everything is great. And you just don't really know what's going on. That's true. And it's a, couple, it's a reminder of a couple of things, I would I would say, as I'm riffing off of your important thoughts, um, to pray for our leaders, to pray that they would be healthy and strong and motivated by truth, because I think that's that's important for us. We don't always know who to believe, and that's why we have to be grounded in God's Word so that we have a standard of comparison, because we know that God's Word never changes, and it is always true, and it helps to equip us to know what's truth from lies. Um, so if if we're steeped in that, then at least we have a basis and foundation for truth, but also that our leaders would be motivated to tell the truth, even if it's uncomfortable or, or difficult or might have some political ramifications they don't like. Yeah. When you think of power grabs, though, and you will stop at nothing for power. And I think Jesus was gave up his power. It's the most amazing a story in human history where God himself leaves the elite status of heaven and comes to earth as a, as a servant. To because s- he emptied himself. He emptied himself yeah. to seek and save the lost. And I think that is, uh, again, where I put my, all of my energy is not in politics, but in the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. But I do, I do, I do love some of the great stories of um, former presidents. I have uh, studied a bunch of them and there's some really great stories. I think, between now and Election Day, I want to talk about some of the great stories of former presidents. It's an odd group of, uh, odd group of people, the men that have become presidents. So uh, I think we're going to take a little break, and hopefully when we come back, we'll have uh, Pastor Adam Weber with us. So we will take a short break and be right back. wonderful to know who your friends are so for starters adam weber's my friend but he didn't he didn't call in time to come do the interview like i thought he would so then my friend dr marcus bachman sends me a text and says hey if adam doesn't show up i'll talk to you from my car phone so i've got all these friends now that are just showing up it's the most wonderful thing ever you are truly loved you got all kinds of friends i feel loved right now let me tell you adam I was working on my sermon. If that does that make I was I was on a date with with Jesus. Okay, and then you just forgot about me, huh? <laughs> well, it wasn't on my it wasn't on my schedule. Yeah. And then my assistant my assistant called and she said, 
hey, Bill's trying to call, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I better get on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, what's, so I'm the, here. what's the sermon? What was the sermon about? Give me a preview. So, well, this week I'm actually preaching one of the chapters uh, that we, we spoke about. Uh, I'm talking about Bill, the guy who lived behind me, and the fact that love is really messy, and um, it's not always as simple as it seems. Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. And he boils down 613 commandments. That's what the um, Jewish people had at that time. They had all these commands. And Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? And he said, love God and love your neighbor. And that seems really, really simple, except it's not. Sometimes it's really messy. And I, I find myself on a regular basis not knowing what the best decision is. And sometimes it's not as clear and clean as you want it to be. And it's like, God, I don't know what the right answer is in this situation. And so I, I've just even this last week, I, um, there was three neighbor kids who asked for a ride home. And I've given them a ride home probably three, four times in the last month. And I really wrestled with, am I supposed to bring them home or am I supposed to go home and be with my family that I haven't seen a whole lot the last couple of weeks? And so sometimes it's not always clean. Like sometimes it just doesn't, it's not like, I know exactly what to do, and it's just really, really messy at times. Yeah, I mean, having healthy boundaries and then also loving sacrificially and imitating Christ, I think Billy Graham said, is opening the door to friendship. I think, Adam, you're practically a master at that. Well, I, I, I'm a work in progress, but it's it, boundaries are it's so true. It, I, it's healthy to have boundaries, and sometimes it's trying to decide between loving two different groups of people. My, my, again, in this situation, my, my family or three neighbor kids that don't have a ride home and have to walk two and a half miles. And it's kind of getting dark out. And so it's just like, gosh, what is the right answer? I, I don't want them to grow dependent on me bringing them back to home. And so a lot of times it's not just cut and dry. And I think that's when we ask God for discernment. I, um, some people even listening right now might have a, a friend that's struggling with addiction of some kind. And so how do you love that person? Like, do you allow them in your life? Do you have boundaries? Do you meet them in a public space instead of at your home? Um, so it's just not always cut and dry. And I think that's when we ask God for his direction. We seek the counsel of, of wise people, maybe even an actual counselor or a pastor or a friend or um, just someone who's done it longer than we had. Even even uh, last night, we had to um, share with the school. Each of uh, the school each year reaches out and asks how to best discipline your kid, how to best, like, appreciate your kid. And with the disciplining part, I said to Becky, uh, type in, we're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> she, started, she started laughing. And I'm like, but that's the honest answer. I don't I don't know what's the best way to discipline my child. Mm -hmm. we're, trying to figure it, we're trying to figure it out. And I think that's very similar to how love often is. It's, it's, it's not always cut and dry of what Jesus would want you to do. Adam, when you're trying to love someone that might be messy, are you prepared to become messy yourself? Or is that something that you say, I'm not going to get messy because I'm just going to help with this person as best I can? Or is the whole goal of helping a messy person is you might get messy yourself? What's your thoughts on that? You might yeah. Again, it, that, it's it's so hard to answer that with a broad answer. Yeah. But I, I think it's going to get messy. If you actually begin to love people like Jesus, it's going to end up in messy situations. Uh, it, as as simple as even the other night with these three, three teenage boys. 
they ended up sitting across the street on a sidewalk looking at my house. And so I just told Beck, I'm like, what do I do? Like, I'm like, these three kids are right across the street. But the, the more we begin to follow Jesus, he's going to lead us into messy situations. Or I'm just, I had a couple on Sunday come up to me, and she said, we're trying to decide, do we invite this, this single parent into our home? And, and she's like, we have three kids, and what is that going to do? That seems really, really messy. And the person that they're invited in is a healthy individual that's going through a really rough situation. And I thanked them. I said, thank you so much for opening your home to this, this mom because she obviously needs a place to stay. But just even that act is messy. What if, what if she's physically kind of a messy person? What if she has different hours or different ways of disciplining her kids than you do? It, it, just, it just lends itself to messy situations, and yet oftentimes I think we have so many boundaries in our lives, and we, we are so much kind of the American dream where it's like, uh, I'm going to go into my garage and close the door now and close <laughs> out all the messiness outside. Like on my terms, I'm going to love people when it feels good and when I like get like a pat on the back because of it. That doesn't sound like Jesus, though. I mean, he often tells us, no, go talk to the friend who's hurting right now. Go reach out to this parent that needs a place to stay. Mm-hmm. And Adam, if we are going to try to make disciples, that is going to be time-consuming, and it's going to be sacrificial, and it's going to be messy, which is the most wonderful thing out there. It is. It is. I, I told a, a landscaper working at our house the other day, I said, is it, does it feel really good when you finish a project and it's completely done? And he said, there's, there's nothing better than that. Mm-hmm. And, I thought, and I thought to myself, ministry, following Jesus, making disciples, there's never this done moment where it's like, right. it's complete. It's kind of like parenting in that way. My son is completely done. Uh, well, I've heard you're kind of a parent for the rest of your life once you become one. And it's true. It's it's uh, the per- the person you pour into might take one step forward and two steps back. Mm-hmm. I know even that there's there's a fellow in my own life right now that I've been pouring into, and I I see him taking great steps forward, and then the next day I'm I, I, I he'll say something or do something, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's not the right direction. <laughs> Let's not go that way. Like, mm-hmm. oh, and then so we'll get back on the right path, and we'll take three more steps. And then I'll get a, a text message, and it's like, oh, my gosh, how do we get back in the ditch again? <laughs> and and it, it, it's, just like, it's just like it's just messy, and yet that's part of it. And in, in that moment, to be grace and truth to that person, of even saying, hey, um, you're doing so well, and you're so loved by God. But, gosh, these decisions right here are not good for you and for, for others. And, and, and God has something so much better for you. That's just, that's just messy, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's, relationships are messy. I'm, I'm back to your, your landscaper who has completed his job. And I would almost promise you, Adam, at the completion of his job, he's filthy dirty. Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> the truth. Yeah, because he's, he been was... in, he's been in the dirt. He's been moving stuff. He's been picking up uh, plants and on his hands and knees moving dirt around and mulch and everything else, he's probably filthy. He or she is probably filthy. Filthy and and sweating and yes. exhausted yeah, and yeah. The, the whole nine yards. And that's, that's um, it, it's just, again, the, the analogy of parenting. I just think 
but what greater joy than there is than that? And, and when we begin to have those eyes and really that heart of pouring into others and loving others and discipling others, when you begin to enter into it in the moments where there is that one step forward, there's nothing better. Mm-hmm. And you see, and to tell that person, hey, I just want you to know God is changing you. Uh, two days ago, I got to say that to a person. I, I said, I don't know if you can see this right now. This is totally different than what you would have done even six months ago. And if he just had, you could just see his eyes got big. And he said, oh, my gosh, I hadn't even thought about it. And I was like, you've grown so much. And it, what a wonderful thing. And yet it's, it's complicated. And there's setbacks and there's phone calls when you don't want them. And, and, but again, that's part of what it looks like to love Jesus. And, and those moments of sometimes you, it's, you have to not answer the phone. You need to not do this just for your own soul. If you're really struggling, if you're at a place of being spread too thin, or maybe there's just a whole bunch of things you need to say no to mm-hmm. so that you have more, so that you have more availability when those moments happen, when those phone calls come. So it's like, I'm going to cut out a whole bunch of extra so that when people do text me and do call me and do stop on my house crying, I can pray for them. I can be available to them. I'm not running on empty. Instead, my cup's been filled by Jesus. I like that. My schedule my schedule's not maxed to the brim, and I have room and availability for interruptions in my life, which Jesus always saw as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, some of the encouragement we can give listeners today is when they go serve others, they, they're serving in the strength of the Lord, not their own strength. Yes. Anytime we try to do it on our own for any length of time, uh, it leads to us not being at a healthy place. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, maybe that's where you're at right now, of just you being spread so thin that you're tired, that you're bitter, that you're broken. You know that you're short with your kids, with your coworkers, with everybody. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that's, a, that's the sign of, like, hey, I need to make sure my cup is being filled. Mm-hmm. And that's not, being, that's not being selfish. That's allowing you to love other people. Am I making my time with God a priority? Am I finding time to breathe and be still? Even tonight, I'm going home. I am not touching a single ounce of work tonight. And I'm just going to just be with my family, whatever my wife needs. Hey, tell me what to do. And I, I, if I don't do that, that's when it begins to lead to me being short and me not being myself and not being wanting at a place of wanting to love anybody. And so it's so critical that we are relying on Jesus. Again, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. We invite the Holy Spirit in and we ask for his presence. We ask for God's strength. We ask for his love. Same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. I need that because it's messy and it's tiring. And when you get done, just like with a a landscaping project, you're covered in mud (laughs) at 30. It's like, God, I need you. I need you. Um, I need you to love my kids, my spouse, my friends, the barista, my next door neighbor. I just need your power. So when you, I love the fact you've announced to me that you're going to go home and just be with your family, no work, which is awesome. Because I think to myself, Adam, if you don't do that, if, if not tonight, when? That's right. There's, it's always, it's always going to slow down next week. <laughs> yeah. And, Isn't that and the what, truth? I mean, you're launching oh, your big book a, this week. Oh, oh. And once this, once this, this project's over and yeah. once 
once this season of life comes and once the kids are this old and once I get the promotion, I'm uh, newsflash to everybody listening. <laughs> that, that day is most likely not going to come. And so instead of living for a day from two weeks from now or retirement or when the kids grow up and they're not in diapers, we, all, we used to say that forever. Once the kids get in diapers, we're going to have the greatest life ever. (laughs) But it's like, okay, today, God, you've promised me today. I've heard so many, many stories lately of a cancer diagnosis, of a loss of life, somebody not waking up. It's like, God, you've promised me right now today. And so I'm going to live today. I'm going to start making changes to my schedule today. And we have the control and ability to do that. Some of us might have less control and ability, whether it's finances, a job, we're trying to finish our schooling or whatever. I, there's restrictions. I understand that. But, but we have control ultimately to say, Jesus, I need to make some changes because I don't want to run the 50-yard dash well. I want to run a, the marathon called life well. Mm-hmm. And, to, and I want to live today well. And so today, God, I'm going to do everything I can. And then I'm going to go home and I'm going to do everything I can as a father and as a husband, because I, I don't want to fail at, at home at the success in, of, of, of a job, even of a job like a pastor position. It's like, no, I don't want to I don't want to fail as, as a husband, as a father, as a follower of Jesus. I want to be available and healthy um, to my family, to the random stranger who might knock on my door tonight. I want to be at a place that I, I can love them well. That sounds very healthy, Adam. Oh, is, this, is this really Adam Weber, or is this a stunt double? No, well, my, my wife, my wife might be really, really. I'm glad. She, I'm, I'm so glad you haven't found her. I'm glad you haven't found her phone or phone number. On oh yeah, yet, I found it. That would that would be trouble. But but genuinely, it takes work. Oh, and it for does. Somebody like my some someone like myself. I'm uh, on my own. I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. On my own, I, I don't stop. On my own, I, I, my, my uh, addiction of choice has always been work. Mm-hmm. And so for, for me, it takes intentionality. And so it's like it takes discipline of saying, hey, I can't tonight um, because I'm making this other thing a priority. It's the, the cliche when you say yes to something, you're saying no to another. Right. That's, that's more than a, it's more than a cliche. It's actually true. And so for me, that takes extreme discipline of like, nope, tonight I am going home and I'm just going to be still with my family and enjoy it. And um, it takes work, though. And it's a day to day thing. It's not it's not a again, it's not a project that you complete and you're like, we're finished. It's a daily choice of, of making that a priority. Yeah. Are you firing up the grill tonight? What do you have planned? I have no idea what we have planned for food tonight. I know my oldest is going to uh, youth. It's the training tonight for volunteers for youth, and he's leading worship for them. Nice. So I know we have I know we have that. Then I plan on sitting on my front porch, even though if it's hot, I'm still probably going to sit on my front porch or play frisbee with one of the kids. And so tonight will be a low key night. Um, been reading a book lately, not not my own, not my own book, which would, would be not. weird. <laughs> 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 but uh, I'll, I'll probably read a book at some point um, before I go to bed. So I'm excited about the night. All right, Adam, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to be with me today. Have a great evening with your family, and I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, Bill, thank you for everything. Also, uh, Susie Larson might try to arm wrestle you. She wants me to start being on her show instead of yours. All right. I'll just put put that out before I go. Cool. That's (laughs) your call. All right, have a great day, Adam. (laughs) 
Adam Weber's been my guest. Yep, you can go to adamweber.com. We'll take a little break. When we come back, the Salvation Series continues with our special guest, Becky Pippert. Be right back.